Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 22, beginning with verse 22 through chapter 23, verse 11. In our last session, we left Paul once again facing an angry crowd, and he had just shared most of his personal testimony and I'm sure there was more that he was planning to share. However, when the crowd heard that Jesus had instructed Paul in a vision to go to the Gentiles and share with them about Jesus, well, they became enraged, and Paul was once again in danger. Well, in order to keep within the context of this passage, I will begin reading with verse, 20, uh, verse 17 of chapter 20. The word of God reads this way. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then Jesus said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with this such a fellow from an earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, mm -hmm. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, uh, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and, and because he had bound him. And the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why Paul was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. As I said earlier, it was thought that Jesus, who Paul was purporting to be the Messiah, the King of the Jews, would dare to say that it was God's command to send Paul to the Gentiles with the message of salvation. In their minds, that was pretty close to blasphemy. So great was their disdain of Gentiles. To them, they were idol worshipers, practicing every form of wickedness. 
On top of that, the Jews had suffered for centuries under the cruel hands of the Gentiles from all the nations of the world. Then you need to add to that misinterpretation of the command that God gave to the Jews in the law that they were to come out from them, to be separated unto the Lord, to be a holy nation, a holy people among the nations of the world. However, they failed to understand the numerous passages throughout the Old Testament that promised salvation to all. Passages like Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 through 9, which says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I declare, before they spring forth I tell you of them. Also Isaiah 49, verses 6 and 7. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him, him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. Also Isaiah chapter 60, verses one through three. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. These were promises concerning Messiah. These were promises concerning Messiah offering salvation even to the Gentiles. I am a Gentile, and I'm so thankful that God included my name in the Lamb's Book of Life because Jesus died for my sins and is risen from the dead. And when I confessed my sin, he was faithful to forgive my sin and now I have been born again, a spiritual birth in Jesus Christ. And I am now a child of God by his grace, his mercy, and his love. But getting back to our passage, I like the observation that Dr. Warren Wearsby makes. He writes, Paul was about to explain why he was involved with the Gentiles. But the Jews in the temple courts would not permit him to go on. No devout Jew would have had anything to do with the Gentiles. Had Paul not uttered that one word, he might have later been released, and perhaps he knew this. However, he had to be faithful to his witness, 
no matter what it cost him. Paul would rather be a prisoner than give up his burden for lost souls and for missions. We should follow his example, my friend. And because Paul was faithful to the testimony, even through the hardships that he will soon suffer, he was sent to Rome and he was able to minister to countless numbers of people, including those who were in the household of Caesar, a people group that probably would never have heard about Jesus had Paul not been bold on that day to speak a clear testimony without compromise, with boldness, and with courage. Well, as we have read, when Paul spoke boldly, the crowd erupted with such violence that Claudius Lysias ordered Paul to be taken into custody for further questioning. Paul was in chains, and they were preparing to flog him, torture him, until he told them the reason behind this riot. In other words, they were going to try to force Paul to tell them his crimes against the Jews and against Rome. As they were in the process of tying his hands with thongs, Paul spoke up and informed the soldiers and Claudius Lysias that he was a Roman citizen. I'll get back to that fact in a moment, but first, I want to talk about why Paul would mention this when he had already experienced several floggings throughout his ministry years. In fact, he tells us about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24-25, when he writes, From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. So we need to understand that there were whippings and there were floggings, and they were entirely different in type and severity. What they were planning to do to Paul was the same thing that they did to our Lord Jesus Christ. It has been described as follows. Using a short leather whip embedded with bits of bone and metal, a Roman soldier would rip away the flesh of his victim with each blow. If this punishment didn't kill or permanently maim the recipient, it took months or even years to recover. Paul, ever the shrewd servant of the Lord, resorted to his civic privilege. By law, a Roman citizen could not be punished without first having a trial, nor could a Roman citizen be interrogated by beating or torture. Paul knew the law. Therefore, he asked, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? Of course it wasn't illegal, because there had been no trial, hearing, or even any formal charges presented. If they had followed through with the flogging, these soldiers of Rome would themselves have been guilty of breaking the law of Rome. So Claudius Lysias questioned Paul further on his citizenship and learned that Paul had been born a Roman citizen. It is presumed by many Bible scholars that Paul's father had been awarded Roman citizenship by some high-ranking official before Paul was born. 
So when Paul was born, the status of citizen of Rome was his by birthright. Claudius Lysias' citizenship was purchased, probably at a great price, and he understood that Paul's standing was much higher and more secure than his own. He immediately had Paul released and delivered from the stocks. But he still did not know why the crowd was so stirred up over this one man. Therefore, he did something very unusual. Claudius Lysias commanded the Jewish Sanhedrin to gather together for a trial, putting Paul on trial before his own Jewish laws and traditions. So let us now turn to our Bibles and read about that council meeting, beginning with chapter 23, verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say, that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. As Paul began to speak, once again, he tried to establish common ground by addressing the members of the Sanhedrin, brethren. He was hoping to remind them that he was a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, just like they were. But then he said, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul's words were true. Before Christ revealed himself to Paul, he did what he thought was right, persecuting the church. He did not yet understand who Jesus is. All he knew, 
just like the men who stood before him on that, on that day, was that people were following a man who claimed to be the Messiah, but who in their mind had not proved his Messiahship because they were looking for something entirely different from what the scriptures had spoken of. They wanted a Messiah that would do what they wanted, not necessarily what God had planned. Anyway, what Paul did before he became a Christian was done in good conscience before the Lord because he was ignorant of the truth. Once Jesus became his Savior and Lord, Paul again lived his life in good conscience, doing all that God had commanded him with integrity and faithfulness, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, ministering to, the, to those around him. So, in other words, Paul was ready to stand before God and be accountable for his choices and actions. However, hardly before the words were out of his mouth that the high priest, Ananias, and by the way, this was not the same Ananias that had prayed for Paul when he was first converted. No, this Ananias motioned the high priest, motioned for someone to punch Paul in the mouth. This was unjust, and actually this command violated the law of Moses. In Leviticus, 1915 is written, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Commentators quote what Josephus recorded about the high priest Ananias. They write this, Josephus, a respected first century historian, described Ananias as profane, greedy, and hot-tempered. He was hated by many of his Jewish contemporaries because of his pro-Roman policies. Paul's outburst came as a result of the illegal command that Ananias had given. Ananias had violated Jewish law by assuming that Paul was guilty without a trial and by ordering his punishment. Dr. John Stott adds this, the high priest Ananias was a thoroughly unsavory character. He was described by Josephus as a great hoarder up of money. He even took away the tithes that belonged to the priests by violence. The most likely explanation for this command is that Ananias understood Paul's words as a claim that, though now a Christian, he was still a good Jew, having served God with a good conscience all his life, even to this day. I think we can all understand why Paul responded the way he, he did uh, to this unjust punishment at the very beginning of his defense. Paul immediately responded firmly only to be rebuked because he had rebuked the high priest, which was also a violation of the law. To Paul's credit, he immediately responded, quoting scripture, but choosing to show respect for the office, but not for the man. There are those who feel that Paul spoke with righteous indignation. Others think that he spoke to them with sarcasm, essentially questioning whether this man being the high priest would give such an order that clearly violated the law that he had sworn to uphold with his life in virtue of his office. 
I think sarcasm fits here. As Paul clearly had heard about this unscrupulous man, as had all those standing there had experienced. Warren Wearsby adds the following. In calling the high priest a whitewashed wall, Paul was simply saying that the man was a hypocrite. And Paul spoke prophetically, because God did indeed smite this wicked man. When the Jews revolted against Rome in the year 66, Ananias had to flee for his life because of his known sympathies with Rome. The Jewish guerrillas found him hiding in an aqueduct at Herod's palace, and they killed him. It was an inglorious death for a despicable man. There's another question that is often raised. Why would Paul speak so harshly to the high priest, seeing how Paul was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee and therefore was well aware of the law? I think the answer is twofold. It is commonly understood that Paul had poor eyesight. There is a reference to this often in his letters. And if the high priest had been across the room from him, a man who did not see well may not have been able to recognize him. And remember that it had been many years since Paul had been in Jerusalem, and even longer since he had been in the halls of the Sanhedrin. He may not have even known him if he had met him on the street. Second, remember that it was Claudius Lysias who had called for the Sanhedrin to gather. As this was not their normal gathering time, they may not have come dressed in all of their ornamented vestments, and therefore uh, they, there would have been nothing obvious to have set the high priest apart from the rest of the priests present. In any case, Paul said what he needed to say. And then he turned to the men gathered there, and knowing that they were not there to listen, but rather to pass judgment. He wisely chose to speak to them about something that was close to his heart, the resurrection. If they had given him a chance, I'm sure he would have talked about how Jesus lived, died, and rose again from the dead. However, as he expected, the room erupted in a fierce argument based on their theological differences. You see, the Pharisees believed that the Old Testament scriptures teach about the resurrection of the dead. There are a few examples of this in their history, but they also know that there is coming a day of resurrection at the end of the age. However, the Sadducees did not believe in the doctrine of resurrection, nor in angels or spirits. In fact, they limited themselves to only the five books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, and disregarded all other scripture. The Sadducees were a part of the Jews who believed the Messianic age had begun with the Jewish revolt under Judas Maccabeus. They did not believe in any future heavenly reality. So, by saying, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged, Paul basically shifted the attention and all of their wrath away from himself, and they turned on each other instead in a heated debate. Then someone from the Pharisees said, 
We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Well, to the Sadducees, that was a challenge they could not ignore. And the room was filled with so much dissension and violence that once again the commander had to remove Paul from their midst and put him in the barracks for his own safety until he could determine what the actual crime was, if any, that Paul was guilty of. What happened next is so beautiful, so full of love and mercy and grace. While in chains in the barracks, Jesus came to Paul, stood by him and spoke to him saying, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. The Life Application Bible Commentary describes that scene this way. The Lord has always been with Paul, but he knew that his faithful servant needed him closer that night. Look at the richness of the encouragement of the Lord here. Christ told Paul to be encouraged and then gave him the substance of why he should be so. First, he gave Paul a word of praise for his faithfulness to the ministry. Just as you have told the people about me here. Second, he gave Paul a word of promise. You must preach the good news in Rome. God, in essence, promised Paul safe passage to another field of ministry. I especially like how Dr. H.A. Ironside responds to this gracious ministry of Jesus to his servant Paul. He writes this, Blessed, living, loving Savior, appearing there to his poor, tired, discouraged, imprisoned messenger to encourage his heart as he went on proclaiming the hope of resurrection. I am sure that Paul thought often of the words of Jesus throughout the years of his imprisonment and trials from this time forward. Those words of encouragement and promise gave him what he needed to testify, teach, and minister to so many, making disciples, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that transformed lives, lives like Onesimus who once was a runaway slave and a thief but was saved by grace while in prison with Paul. And having been released, he became one of the key pastors and fellow laborers of the gospel alongside of such men like Paul and Timothy, Titus, Barnabas, and others who spent their lives serving God and testifying to anyone who would listen about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose from the dead, and who has ascended on high and sits at the right hand of the throne of God, where he intercedes for us until the day when the trumpet sounds and he calls us up to heaven, where he is preparing a place for us. Do you remember what he, what he said in John chapter 14? Jesus said this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, it's true. There's only one way. And that is through Jesus Christ because there's only one who has died for your sins and has been raised to life again. Do you know him? Do you call him Savior? Do you call him Lord? Place your trust in him. He will come to you and speak to you, forgiving your sins, and he will be with you from this moment and forever. Call out to him, my friend. He's waiting for you to ask. Do it now, please. Don't delay. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your great love and your mercy and your goodness to each one of us, Lord. You have given to us the opportunity to know about Jesus. You've given to us the invitation to respond and receive that gift of everlasting life because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. This is the message that Paul gave his life to and so many others. And they did it with joy. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, they would not give up. They would not shrink back. But rather, Lord, they were bold in the testimony. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way that you ministered to your servant Paul at a time when he needed that encouraging word the most. And I just pray for uh, the listeners, Lord, that you would draw near to them this day and that you would speak tenderly to them. Speak to them through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to them that word of counsel and encouragement and love. Lord Jesus, keep us close to you. Keep us near the cross. May we always remember your great love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's Bible Time with Jane, all one word, at gmail.com. So until next time, my friend, may God fill you with his joy and peace. 
and may he give you wisdom and boldness to tell others about Jesus. God bless you, my friend.